0: I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, no, now
1: is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, alright? This is the Trunk Nation podcast, podcast
2: with host Eddie Trunk. Welcome everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast, Thank you for checking it out and thank you for listening Around the world, much appreciated bringing you interviews with some of the biggest names in rock and metal music each and every Thursday. And We got two for you this week. We got another double dip. Alice Cooper and Steve Vai will be joining me this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As I tell you guys every week, this podcast features interviews that originated on my Sirius XM radio show. That show is called Trunk Nation and airs Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live on Volume channel 106, and it replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, and you can always grab it anytime you want on the SiriusXM app and listen as well. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you're only listening to this podcast, you are only getting a fraction of what I do on a daily basis on the radio, would urge you to come on board and join me on SiriusXM if you are not already around the world. This gives you a chance to dip into what I'm doing uh, every day on the radio show. And also, speaking of the uh, on-demand and the app on SiriusXM, did a big special with Slash a couple weeks ago. And that is now available to you on audio or video. And the video came out fantastic. And Slash plays a couple songs exclusively for my audience. And you can only see that on the SiriusXM app. Two hours of conversation and music with Slash and the band. If you're a subscriber, be sure to check out the video portion which looks and sounds great, available on the app. The audio version, of course, only is there as well. So you can get audio, video, both, however you like, whenever you want on the app. Uh, What do we have for you this week? Well, we got a lot of stuff going on as usual. I just came back from the Monsters of Rock cruise. Fantastic time. Fantastic to have that cruise back online, back happening again. It was another casualty of COVID last year, but the good news is it is back and it went off without a hitch. Well, I shouldn't say that. There were some cancellations from bands and what have you. Some people had some hiccups as far as getting on and off because of COVID and because of the various mandates. But for the most part, it was great to have the cruise back and people really enjoyed to have it back and be out there on the season enjoying some music. Great five days, great to host it. Had the honor of doing that every year since that cruise originated. A lot of other stuff coming up now as the schedule starts to fill in. Uh, You can follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, eddietrunk.com for all my info, appearances, and updates. That's the best way to do it. This week on the podcast, like I said, two interviews. They're somewhat connected. Alice Cooper up first. Alice talks about his current tour. Also, for context, this interview was done prior to him leaving for the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Alice was the headliner on it. And I had a chance to intro him at both shows and watch his show. The interview you're about to hear took place a couple weeks before the crew sailed. So obviously we're talking about, in some of the interviews, something that already happened. But there's enough in the interview worth listening to, including stuff about Alice's next record and his current tour, which he's out on right now. Second interview this week is with Steve Vai. Steve talks about... Uh, his current record, which is coming soon, his current tour, and his current injury, which postponed his tour. And you'll certainly want to enjoy that as well. How are the Steve Vai and Alice Cooper interviews connected? Well, I didn't realize it, and you'll hear me ask Vai this, because both interviews happened on the same day, that Steve Vai actually uh, performed on an Alice Cooper song, Feed My Frankenstein, with Joe Satriani. And Vi touches on that in the interview. So you'll get a little little connection there between the two, which I should have known about, and I didn't. (laughs) So first up, Alice Cooper. Second, Steve Vai, back-to-back interviews with legendary rock artists. That's what we got for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
0: Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around with nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at Myrtlebeach.com. Okay, as,
2: as I mentioned, uh, two interviews for you this week. We start with Alice Cooper. Again, this interview happened a couple weeks ago prior to the Monsters of Rock cruise. That cruise has now happened and went off successfully. Alice playing two shows on it and had a chance to intro him at both. But here's how the conversation with Alice went. Enjoy. Alice: Hey Eddie. How you doing? Good. How you been? Uh good. You been safe? You been uh, healthy? Yes, thankfully I have been uh been able to I've, I've managed to somehow dodge the plague. How about you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Well, I had it last December, but uh uh you know, since I I've been triple-we triple-vaxed. We just had 53 people on the road for 2 months. Everybody triple-vaxed and we got checked every night and nobody got sick.
2: Oh, that's great. I was going to ask you how that went because I, uh, you know, I know touring is challenging this time at, you know, around this time of, uh, what we're dealing with. So I was wondering how that run went for you. It sounded like pretty good. You know,
1: it, it it was amazing. We, uh, you know, we, all we cut out was the VIPs, uh, you know, after show VIP thing. So it was, it was a bubble, but it wasn't a tight, tight bubble. I mean, you know, I was going playing golf in the morning and I was going to the mall in the afternoon and going to the movies and things like that. But, you know, um, we kept pretty safe all the way through the whole thing, but I was amazed 53 people for what, 30 cities and nobody got sick. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah. That's a good thing for sure. And you had my old buddy, uh, Ace Freely out there with you.
1: Ace was great. Yeah. And Ace's band, you know, we, we, we really kind of like, we've done so many shows with Ace that we've really got, got pretty tight with those guys. So, uh. Yeah, they're good buddies. I think we're doing some more shows on the next tour with them, too.
2: Yeah, I thought that was great. I thought that was a great bill. I thought that was a really cool thing to see. So the big thing coming up for you, Alice, and, and it's something I've hosted every one of these, and I'm looking forward to, and of course it was delayed a year already because of the pandemic, but you're headlining the Monsters of Rock Cruise. I imagine you're looking forward to that. That should be fun.
1: Yeah, it really should. I just noticed, I looked on the you uh, and... Uh, uh, Don and uh, a bunch of guys.
2: Uh, Jim, yeah, the whole that thing. metal but show crew.
1: I, yeah, I was, I was looking at the bands and I was going, I think I could put a band together here of people that's been in my bands in these <laughs> bands. <laughs> 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 but you know, Skid Row and Tom and Buck Cherry. Buck Cherry's doing some shows with us on this next tour. Jeff Kate Winger. I mean, Winger was my bass player. Kip, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean Michael Monroe is always on. Yeah, you know, comes up and sings with us when he when we just cools out, you know. So yeah. it's gonna be really fun. And I, I think it's going to be a little bit different because you know we're not going to be able to do the production.
2: I was so going to ask gonna you about seeing, that. I was yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you about that because I imagine uh, production wise, I mean, people go to see the Alice Cooper show. You're known for all the the stage props and all this stuff that you do. How does that work? You've done cruises before, right? I mean, how do you how do you scale down? One. How do you do it?
1: I've done one, and it was just like we were a bar band, which was very cool for the audience, because they've only seen us, they've seen us in a in the big production, right? This is going to be Alice Cooper, the bar band, and so you know we'll be doing covers, we'll be doing all the hits and everything, but you'll be seeing us a little bit more personal this time, and I think that's kind of cool, uh, you know, to make this a special thing, anybody on this on this boat is going to be you know, it's going to be seeing a different kind of Alice Cooper, it's just as intense. But you know, uh, you know, there there was times when press said, "Well, you take all the all the you know the glitz and glam away from and and you know what are they?" And well, we were a really good bar band,
0: we
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you're telling me the guillotine and the snake and the electric chair—they're not going to make it on the ship, right? I don't
1: think we can get them on the ship, but I don't. But uh, but tr- trust me, it'll be just as intense. I mean, I've got the best touring band out there. You know, Anita Strauss and uh, Glenn uh, Sobel and, and Roxy and Tommy and and Chuck and Chuck also is going to be with his band Beast of Blanco. Sure, yeah. And Cal- Calico will be on the boat. My daughter's going to be you know on the boat singing for him. So that'll be fun. to See those guys too.
2: Yeah. No. And I. I'm, and you know, I was. I think that's actually going to be a really cool way to see you. Cause I mean, I've been seeing you for decades and of course I look forward to the big show and everything, but there is something to be said for that. There is a definitely a, a different, cool, different approach when you see an artist in a slightly different setting like that and different surroundings and just, you know, coming out and knocking it out. It's a, it's a little bit of a different thing. It's, and, it, and for you, yeah, it's I unique. Think it's special. Yeah, it's unique. Yeah. yeah. Very, very,
1: very, it's a little bit more like the vampire show. You know, it's a little bit more like the Hollywood vampires, where there, there's not a, a lot of big sets. You know, I mean, there's a back set and everything like that, but there's certainly no props going on. You know, except for my hand props, which will always be there. But at the same time, you know, there's uh, when you see the vampires, it's it's you know a, a bar band, but a really good one and uh, really unique. You know, so this this is going to be kind of cool for us. I think uh, yeah, we'll be doing some songs we have we don't do it in our normal set. You know. And uh, I'm leaving tomorrow for Cincinnati. We start up in Cincinnati uh, uh, for show. So rehearsal we going to rehearsal tomorrow. We'll be practicing some of the songs we're doing on the on the ship.
2: Yeah, I know we have limited time, but I wanted to mention that, Alice. I know you've got a run of dates leading into the ship. I'm looking at them now. Uh, Cincinnati, Toledo. Uh, you go through Indiana. Everything is on alicecooper.com so people can see if there's a date coming uh, coming your way. And, and since the whole pandemic, you've been out there playing. And I guess, you know, you're jumping out, doing some dates sporadically and then going back home. That's pretty much how you're balancing it, right?
1: I think it's a whole different atmosphere now, uh, touring, even though it doesn't change the show. I mean, uh, we're doing the full-out show. Uh, there's, in fact, it, it's, it, it's as big a production as it's ever been. Um, it just, now you don't go out for four months at a time. Now, now you do like, uh, it's almost like guerrilla theater, you know, uh, you're hitting a run. So we're doing like 20 shows and then we take a month off and then we'll do 20 more shows and, and that, and then we'll go to Europe and, you know, in July and uh, with cult, with the cult, that'll be fun to do a, a tour with the cult there. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's not one of those, you're packed and you don't get back for five months. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're used to.
2: I wanted to ask you real quickly about what you can tell the audience you have coming up. Have you started already thinking about, I mean, I know Detroit stories is still a fairly recent record. Have you started thinking about that? You mentioned the vampires. Have you have stuff lined up with them? What's uh, what's on the horizon beyond the tour dates?
1: Yeah. From what I understand, they're booking vampire dates now at the end of the summer, uh, which is great. And, um, that, that I can't wait to do that. That's, that's really a lot of fun to do. Those guys are, you know, the guys in that band are, again, they're all best friends, so there's never any problems, you know? Uh, and at the same time, uh, our, I'm working on two albums right now, actually two studio albums. Oh, wow. And, uh, all I can say is that one is written all totally written and, uh, we'll be doing bed tracks for that one, uh, pretty soon. And then the other one is just a touch in the future, but that's being written right now, too. So they're two entirely different kinds of of albums, but they're, you know, they're Alice Cooper pure rock and roll albums.
2: So they're both going to be Alice Cooper. They're they're both Alice Cooper records, but you're doing them kind of very close together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of songs out there that are, uh, I'm sitting here trying to write songs and I'm going, wait a minute. Was that, what what was, when was this one? That was, Oh yeah. That one. You know? So I have to listen to the, uh, to the actual, you know, basic tape of the song of us writing it and I go going, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I remember that this one is, <laughs> it's a bit confusing, but at the same time the, the two albums will, will really be hard rock albums. But, um, can't tell you too much more about them because there's a bit some surprise going on in some of them. Are you yeah. going
2: to put them out at the same time? Or are they going to be staggered?
1: Oh no, they'll be staggered. Yeah, yeah. And Ezra, yeah, Ezra's
2: working on both of them with you.
1: He's doing both of them. He's doing you two right now. So this gives us a chance to actually get everything written oh, uh, wow. lyrically and everything. But musically, it's written. It just it's now it's just lyrically. I got to get the lyrics and and the uh, bed tracks are actually all on one, also. So,
2: well, we look forward to those. You expect one to come out this year, I would imagine, right?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One's coming out this year, uh, and it'll be, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of like the old days when you're touring and putting out records at the same time. Uh, it kind of takes me back to when you're doing, you know, you're you're doing uh, Love It To Death. And then you tour for Love It To Death. While you're doing Love It To Death, you're writing Killer.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and when Love It To Death is over, Killer comes out, and then you go support that. And while you're doing Killer, you're writing Schools Out. You know, so it, it, that we kind of piggybacking everything, and uh, I, I kind of like that. It, it keeps everything moving. Yeah. Right. I, I don't like those big chunks of time when there's nothing going on.
2: Back in the day, in the 70s, as you well know, it was the norm for artists to put out two records a year. I mean, I look at the early oh, yeah. Kiss records, and there was one coming every six months. So, you know, that that was yeah. kind of the norm. Aerosmith, some of those guys would pump them out. Hey, I know you got to go, but uh, last thing from me, um, you on your social media, you put out a really wonderful, really touching, heartfelt Uh, tribute to Meatloaf when we lost him and uh, your friendship with him. Can you give me a minute or two on Meat? Because I didn't realize you guys were so close, and that was really uh, a wonderful uh, post that you made about him.
1: Well, you know, he he was very theatrical, so that attracted me to him. And then those, of course, Bad Out of Hell, those albums were musicals, you know? And Steadman, you know, right? uh, I mean, Stein, um, wrote all those, yeah, Steinman wrote those Really great theatrical pieces. I I always would have liked to have written with him, you know. But but I think it would have like felt like I was like barging in on on uh, Meatloaf's world there. But uh, you know, we toured with Meatloaf, and he would go on stage, and of course, he was like a Pentecostal preacher up there.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, he had his, uh, his his sweat rag, and his hair was all <laughs> wet, and he had his white shirt on, and he's preaching. I mean, every song, he, he never let go of the audience, which was, I used to love that. And then the guy had the voice, monster voice, you know, he he was just so good. We did a movie together, we did roadie together. Um, every time I would see him, we always kind of niched out a little bit of time so we could sit and talk to each other for a while.
0: Mm. You
1: know, that was always just, there was a there was a closeness there. Uh, I understood him and I think he understood me what, what we were doing. And, uh, It just always bordered on, you know, very kind of cinematic stuff.
2: Well, Alice, I thank you so much for the time. And hopefully when uh, we talk again, we'll have some more time to get into some stuff. But I want to remind everybody, Alice Cooper is headed out on tour. It starts in Cincinnati on the 28th of January. The dates are all at alicecooper.com. And I look forward to seeing you on the, on the ship at the uh, Monsters of Rock cruise. Finally, this, this thing is uh, set to sail. It's been, uh, it's been delayed. People are chomping at the bit to see you and get on the ship. And I look forward to seeing you there soon. Yeah, it's going
1: to be a unique show for us. You know, it'll really be fun to just to be a, to be a rock and roll band, but uh, it'll be a pretty intense rock and roll band.
2: <laughs> well, I can't wait. It's always a great show with uh, with or without the guillotine. I'm sure we'll have a great time. So I'm looking forward to it. And best of luck on the road. Say hi to the band, and I'll see you soon.
1: I'll see you soon. Okay, man.
2: See you, Alice. Great chatting with Alice Cooper, as always. One of the legends and really nice guys. You could ever have a chance to meet. It's Eddie Trunk. The Eddie Trunk podcast rolls on. Next up, Steve Vai.
0: Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visit Myrtlebeach.com.
2: Interview number two this week on the podcast is with Steve Vai. The legendary guitarist has a new record coming out, a new guitar, recently suffered an injury that postponed his tour. We talk a little bit about that. And we also talk about a song that he recorded with Alice Cooper. Here's Steve Vai on the podcast. Hey Steve, how are you, man? Hey, Eddie. Good, good to be with you again, brother. You know, I was just thinking about something. I just finished up with Alice Cooper and Alice has worked with so many artists, had so many guests on his records. You ever guest on anything with Alice? Oh yeah, sure. When, um, uh, feed my Frankenstein. Oh,
3: you, is that you, know you that on track, there?
2: Right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's me and Joe Satriani. Uh, that was, it was quite a while ago and, and, you know, big, uh, Cooper fans and he sent us this track and it was slamming and, it's it's cool when you listen to it because you've got both Joe and I doing little solos and then we play together in harmony. It's fantastic.
2: I didn't realize that. We, that was for Wayne's World, right? Was that for Wayne's wait World? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't know something? <laughs> <laughs> Did I trust the trunk? Trust me, Steve. It's very easily done. Trust me. <laughs> no, I th- I would have thought that was from the Kane Roberts era. I didn't realize it, but it was. It was from. Um, it was, for, it was for Wayne's World, though, right? It was Wayne's World, yeah, yeah. Are you in the track. video? No. Oh, okay.
3: And yeah, it's I, you I, and I, I, Satch.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a great track, and the way we play together is it's unique. It's great. Yeah, of course I know the song. I just didn't realize, oh, you know, Steve, you're everywhere, man. I can't keep track of all the things you do. It's just too much. <laughs> I'm by me potent. <laughs> of course, uh, you got a new record in Violate coming tomorrow. Before we get into that a little bit, and we do have a track to play that I think we're premiering before we uh, when we let you go here. But how's your health? Because I know you had, uh, you know, you had some issue with your shoulder and then you had a tour that was announced that you had a bump a little bit. So give everybody up the update on that front, if you will. Yeah. You know,
3: you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. <clears throat> About a year ago, last December, I, I did have to get surgery on my shoulder. I, I'm usually a totally healthy guy. I try to take the, you know, I do take the holistic approach when I can. But this 50 years of uh, abuse, you know, playing the guitar, the uh, my shoulder just got to the point where I had to really get it checked out. And I got a wonderful surgery and uh, it healed and it was funny because while I was healing, I couldn't use my right arm, obviously. And I was in a, a sling and the sling was called a knapsack because the doctor that designed it, his name is Dr. Knapp. And he's the one that did the surgery. So I got home from the surgery and I, I couldn't play with my right hand. So I actually recorded a song that I called Knapsack with my left hand and that, that made it to inviolate. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I got uh, through the pandemic recording the record and uh the surgery healed quick and I was able to record the record, but I did something really stupid over the summer <laughs> and I was pulling. This is crazy. I was pulling, well, I have a pizza oven and I was putting a pizza in the oven and the dough sticks on the little plate and I had to jerk it really hard and pull it. And I tore another one and I thought I can get through the tour, but the tour is a mega tour that we're planning. Cause I've been just dying to get on tour and we've got like 250 shows that we want to do around the world it's going to take like a year and a half. And once I started to prepare, it became really obvious that there was just no way. And the doctor said that it's only going to get worse and it's not going to, you know, there's nothing you can do. I highly recommend you get a fix before you go out on tour for a year and a half or you're going to be in real trouble. (laughs) So I said, okay. And the way that the tour is scheduled, you know, it's not so uncommon these days that artists are kind of like, you know, moving blocks of dates around, And uh, we just took the whole tour, the North American portion, and moved it to the fall, almost almost completely intact. But uh, so that's you know, it gives me an opportunity to heal and get out there and kick some butt.
2: Man, you are a serious pizza maker. You actually injured yourself (laughs) making a pizza. That's a good Italian. I wish I had a better story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all for the love of food. It's all about. Yeah, it's all for the love of food, Steve. I mean, I get that completely. Why not? Yeah. Did you do? Was Why it the not? same? Was it the same shoulder that you injured, re-injured, or was it the no, other that's one? That's the
3: funny thing. It, w- it was the same shoulder, but a different tendon.
2: Oh, <laughs> so it's just a fluke thing that I guess that was
3: on the way out too. That one. It was. Uh, I, you know, it's hard to tell. But what I did was pretty violent, so it probably would have uh, been compromised anyway. But uh, I'm good, man.
2: I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, well, you're a guy that takes great care of himself. I remember I saw. I ran into you in a, a town close to where I live when you were out the Experience Hendrix tour. You were out there jogging, and we literally ran into each other on the sidewalk. And you're that's always right, very, right. yeah, and you're always very agile on stage, the way you move and stuff. Did they tell you that? I imagine this damage to your shoulder is it a direct result of playing guitar all these years? Is it where the strap sits on your guitar?
3: Uh, they they don't really know. Um, it's the kind of thing where I, I, I think if I was to make an educated guess, because I don't remember having a particular event that threw it out, you know, I was uh, when I sit and play, my right shoulder is hunched up. You know what I'm saying? And when I stand and play, it's got the strap. And I I'm just assuming that after 50 years of doing that. Because it, it took like two and a half years for it to get to the point where, okay, this is this is, needs to be fixed. You know what I mean?
2: Mm. Now, how did it impact making the record? Because this happened before you made the record, during the record, because you said it impacted the way you played on on knapsack, which you actually played with one hand. But w- did yeah. you? Wh- what is the timeline as far as the impact it had overall on the record? Yeah.
3: I probably cut a few songs before I got the surgery. One of them was a track called "Candle Power," <clears throat> and uh, then once the, uh, you know, once the surgery happened, the, the healing was quick. You know, like wh- one side. Well, the healing isn't quick; it takes a year. But for what I need, mean, my wrist, that that two weeks, three weeks, and I, I was able to actually start playing again. But there's certain things that will compromise with this new injury, like strumming. You know, I was actually feeling that I was something was missing. So uh, that 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 didn't happen with the first one. You know, the first one was just like just it just really hurt and it was torn up and my shoulder kept feeling like it was falling out of the socket. It was weird, but I could still play, you know, because it doesn't affect that area. So, did you to be Pete Townsend? you know you uh, yeah,
2: windmill, right. <laughs> yeah, right? so do you do you find let me let me ask you this then one last thing on the injury part of this because I find it fascinating. i I was um spent a lot of time with Steve Morse a number of years ago, like like four yeah. or five years ago, we were on uh, I toured with Deep Purple through Mexico. and i oh, I spent cool. a lot of time with Steve um in the hotels yeah. and just backstage of the shows. And Steve's a wonderful guy and obviously a great player wonderful. as well. but I was watching uh, his prep to go out on stage to play, and he was wrapping his hand and his wrist, and he was putting a cream on his wrist, and he told me he had all these problems that had developed with his hands and his fingers, and it was quite painful, and he had to do this whole procedure in order to get in a place where he could play. But he also told me that because of this, it had him actually completely reinvent after decades of playing guitar himself the way he played guitar and the choices he made, and some of the things he did, so it actually opened up a whole new area to him uh, of rethinking his playing. Any of that come into play for you? Well, yeah. Through the years, actually, <clears throat> you know, there's times
3: where, you know, when when you have an artistic, creative pull, you figure it out. You 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 just figure out you, you, you any means necessary, and if you have to navigate around an injury either you're just going to lay off until you're better or if it's something that's kind of permanent, you, you figure out how to get around it. You know, you just figure it out and to the best of your ability. And I think for me, um, I don't, I don't really think I've ever had a situation well, here, here's what I would say. And this is what I did notice through 42 years of playing the guitar. It, it almost, it, it, doing anything that much, you're going to start to experience some, you know, uh, challenges with, with certain body parts. But one of the things that helped me tremendously is when I when I play, I just, you relax. You just, you have to make a conscious, deliberate effort to actually relax your hands and your body because a lot of times the tension that people hold, I know for me at least, yeah, you know, the tension that I held when I was performing or even just sitting down and practicing it, 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 uh, it just creates, um, you know, these situations in your body where you can start compromising parts. And I remember that happened to me. I, I developed a, 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 a carpal tunnel kind of thing in my wrist many years ago when I was doing this. I had to learn this piece of music. It was just this orchestral piece, and it was like 35 minutes of sheer terror on the guitar, you know. And it, at one point I was practicing so much that happened. And what I discovered, the way I had to, and this was a, a beautiful thing that happened, actually. I discovered the way around it is just playing lighter. You can play intense and aggressively, but lighter. And you actually play, you can play faster and more accurately when you, when you relax. And I didn't realize how much I was, how much tension was in my hands uh, until this injury, the one in my wrist years ago. Mm. So that's one thing that's good, yeah.
2: You know, it's it, it's amazing to me to hear you talk about tension in your body and in, and when you play, because although your music at times can be really intense, uh, I, I think that when I watch you and I've come to your shows and I've watched you play, I see the complete opposite. Like to me, you're one of the you make it look effortless, and you—you you, the way you move on stage, it, it's almost like you kind of glide. It. Visually, it's the complete opposite. You seem so fluid and loose up there, but you're saying that there was an inherent tension inside, I guess. there's There's no
3: bottom to how deep you can go into relaxing and actually having that show in a... Uh, sort of an exuberant way when you're performing, the more relaxed you are, the looser you are. And I'm, you know, I can't, that's what I, um, focus on when, when I'm performing, you know, and people ask, what, what are you thinking about when you're playing? Well, hopefully nothing, <laughs> you know, I'm just being very present, but in order to be present, you, uh, for years now, my main practice is taking my attention and putting it in my inner body and just you can do it. You just focus on actually relaxing the, the inner body. And on stage, this is really helpful because there's no end to how much you can relax. And it sounds like, well, you're going to just, you know, stand still and be there. But no, this allows you to really move with execution and clarity and control. And I'm
2: not finished relaxing
3: <laughs> you know
2: what I mean? Somebody's got to teach me how to relax, Steve. I can't I can't do it.
3: <laughs> you know, I, just, yeah, I, know.
2: I come from, you know, my mom is uh my mom is a very intense, worrywart, high-strung Italian woman, and uh I have yeah. every bit of her traits that you could imagine, <laughs> and I can't turn my head off, and I'm always like, what's next? And I can never stop, and I can never so I don't do you do meditation or any of that sort of stuff? Is that your scene too? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do? I
3: I started meditating back in the 80s.
2: See, I could... It's vital.
3: It's vital. You know, people say, oh, no, I can't. I can't, you know, but in reality... And also, these days, it's actually becoming more common. The word meditation isn't so shrouded with weird, you know, mystical stuff.
2: Right, right. It's
3: it's the process of just sitting and clearing your mind, but you have to enter that state of mind where you're able to see that you're being bombarded by unnecessary thoughts that you're, you're getting involved in and taken away with. And that's what happens when a person becomes real kind of just all over the place, you know, worrying <laughs> about this, got to get to this, got to <laughs> do that. And, guilty, <laughs> guilty yeah. on all counts. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, I got it. Yeah. I def-
3: I'm coming to your house and we're going to sit in a closet. it. I highly recommend you look into it, buddy, because, uh, it really does change the quality of all aspects of your life, all aspects, your relationships yeah. with people, your ability to be a solution oriented, having real effective solutions, because you're not so bamboozled by unnecessary, usually really stressful thoughts in the head. Oh, yeah. In meditation, oh, yeah. <laughs> in meditation you recognize how useless and unnecessary they are, and you look past them, and it can bring
2: clarity. All right, well, yeah. good to know. So tell me tell me what you were going for with this record. Ninth solo record, uh, Inviolate. Am I saying it right? Inviolate? Is that the right pronunciation? Inviolate, inviolate yeah. Inviolate. Inviolate coming mm-hmm. out. What's the title mean, by the way? Oh, it's a great word that I
3: found or I came across some years ago. And you know me, the guy that meditates, I'm always looking for <laughs> some... Kind of uh, mystique in titles and things like that. And I always uh, like the name of, uh, I mean, the word, I like the word in Violet and the meaning. Basically, what it means is free from harm, unable Mm. to violate, you know, something that's unable to be violated.
2: And when you went and you you put this one together, um, your approach to this one versus other records, more of a a direct approach, um, maybe not as conceptual. And and the thing I hear when I listen to it is, which, you know, I really hear on a lot of your records, but a, a great variety. I mean, you mentioned... Uh, Candle Power a few minutes ago. That's almost got a jazzy feel to it. And then mm-hmm. uh, a song like Avalancha, which I listened to, and even Knapsack, there's some heavy elements to that. So mm-hmm. uh, greenish blues, I don't know if that's a reference to Peter Green or not, but a, a bluesy mm-hmm. vibe on that. So so tell mm-hmm. me about some of the tracks and where, where you were going with this one.
3: Well, you, you know, as you had mentioned, a lot of my past records have a tendency to be kind of dense and heavily produced and, Sometimes I like to add filler, like little in between voices that quirky, quirky stuff, you know me. And uh, also, um, a lot of times my records, I like to apply stories and and all of these concepts to them and that kind of thing. But within Violet, you know, uh, I just wanted to make a record that I can go out and play without any excuses or nonsense, you know, and um, I did it. And it was interesting how it all came about because... For a, lot, for a lot of artists, as you know, once the lockdown came in, we, we had to think fast. And we're a very resilient bunch. So, you know, musicians started learning how to really communicate differently. And uh, right before the lockdown, I was in a situation where I was working on a big concept record. It was the third record of this trilogy of real illusions that I was working on. And I just uh, found myself, like everybody else, waking up one day and all the doors were locked which I found to be very useful, by the way, <laughs> you know, I just kind of hunkered down in the studio and many artists were starting to, you know, feed the internet with live kinds of streams and stuff. So I started uploading live streams. And it actually gave me a chance to start working on some guitar ideas that I had been, had been waiting to work on that needed a lot of time. So the first thing I did was Candle Power. And that took a long time, because although it sounds like a relatively simple track, there's a couple of really obtuse guitar techniques going on that just took a lot of time to to flesh out you know and then I I had that and we're still in lockdown still canceling and moving stuff which was fine and then I just decided you know uh, well actually what happened was I uploaded this track called The Moon and I which was from my catalog but I did something I'd never done before ever (laughs) I performed it on solo acoustic guitar and I sang it and I just filmed it and put it up live just for the fans, you know, some, something very different for me, but I was really surprised with the response and it inspired me to do something that i had always kind of wanted to do, which was a solo acoustic vocal record. And I actually started doing that and I got about three quarters of the way through and then my, my shoulder blew out. And then um, when I got back, I did knapsack and I said, okay, I'm, I got, Enough here to, you know, get a rec start start focusing on a record, and getting it out there to tour because I just wanted to tour. You know, I, I really felt the, the the touring bug, so that was kind of my lockdown story.
2: Yeah, I said many times when we were at the height of all that that the output of of uh, creativity from artists is going to be huge for the next year, a couple years after it, because that's what everybody was doing. They were locked down and trying different things and experimenting on different things. A little pretty was the first single and video that we got from the record. And I understand that you used a unique guitar on that. Uh, Am I getting this right? Where you had a guitar on your wall that you were looking at for the longest time and said, Hey, why why not that one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was, you know, I'm a, uh, an Ivanez uh,
3: player. My, I designed the Gem 35 years ago, and that's my guitar. And that's a solid body guitar, and that's, what I, that's my comfort zone. It's like a, it's a machine. It's a, it's a real uh, great machine for the style of playing that I do. But a solid body guitar has a particular sound, and when I had the riff for Little Pretty, I also collect um, some arch tops. An arch top is a semi-hollow electric guitar. You know, like a jazz guitar. Okay. So I have a whole bunch of those, and they're really nice. But I also uh, had a Gretsch, you know, the Brian Setzer guitar? Yes, sure. And they're great. You know, they're unique. They don't, none of these guitars sound like anything else. So you've got solid bodies, and you've got these semi-hollow bodies. And when I was listening to the just the riff for Little Pretty, it, it, I knew it wasn't going to work on a, a solid body the way that I wanted it. And the, the semi-hollow, the sound, those guitars, there's, there's like this space that surrounds the notes, you know what I mean? It's a whole different thing. They they don't distort the same, they don't do anything the same. And, um, well, you know, within reason. <laughs> and then I, um, I just felt that was the guitar, so I used the Gretsch for that entire track, you yeah.
2: mm. It's a really cool track, um, Steve. I want to pick up with something you said about making a record with you singing on it. Is that something you still want to do? That record that you said you kind of kind of pulled away from, uh, acoustic based with with singing. Is that something you'd still like to do at some point?
3: Yeah, there's only probably about six or seven songs I got to finish the vocals on, <clears throat> and I'd like to release that at some point.
2: Would you ever? Li- I mean, I know we all know you played with David Lee no, Roth. We all know no, you were in White State I would never
3: White go State. on tour and sing. <laughs> I would never uh, go on kinda... tour and sing and play acoustic
2: guitar by myself. If that's where you're going, <laughs> that's a non-starter. It sounds like, yeah. <laughs> Dude, would would, <laughs> would you I'm ever li- Would you ever like to be in a band with? Like, would you ever like to? I know you did, obviously. David Lee Roth, the Smile Band, Incredible, um, White Snake. You were in. Would you would would you ever entertain being in a situation like that? Would you ever like to join a band or or maybe build a band around you with a singer and and not be pre- predominantly instrumental? I wouldn't be opposed to that, and I've been approached many times through the years. But
3: usually, it's to reinvigorate the glory days of yore. You know what I mean? Like let's do this kind of music the way we used to or the way that this genre says that this music should be. And that I did it, you know, and, and I, I think that if the right people came along that wanted to do something really cool, accessible, but g- brutally creative, you know, um, then I would consider something like that. I like the idea of having a singer and I've had, I've been so lucky lucky because I've, been involved with great ones you know but uh all of the elements would have to come into place
2: when you look back at the the david lee roth era and the eat and smile band and so many people love that record and that uh, yeah. period so much in that band and then dave unfortunately had those dates i was supposed to go a few weeks ago in vegas and then yeah uh, they were pulled and and I know that you and, and Billy and Greg got super close a few years back to actually playing with Dave at the uh, jam there in LA. Uh, have you had dialogue with him at all? Do you know anything about his retirement or his status? Have you had any conversations? Well, I might assume
3: uh, when they played, when Dave played with kiss in LA, I went to the show and I got to hang out with Dave a little bit after the show. It was really nice, you know? And, uh, Uh, it's hard to say, you know, because obviously through, through time here, it's always Van Halen that was hopeful to be the touring entity that Dave would be in. And that would be a priority because it's Van Halen. But I think when uh, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes when Edward was ill, you know what I mean? So I don't know what was going on in Dave's mind. Um, We never, we talked about it a bit back when that, ill-fated gig where the fire marshal came in and shut down the whole venue because it was just ridiculously overpacked. Um, we, you know, we chat, we chatted about it. It's a little bit of a, 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 issue with scheduling and things like that. And it was something that was kind of in the background a bit, but, uh, then I saw Dave made this announcement and he's retiring and stuff. So, eh, you know, I guess the train has left the station.
2: Yeah, but we all know with him, you never know about that either, because that script could flip tomorrow. You know, and he, yeah, and isn't and, that and if you the case, yeah, and if you think about it, with you know, sadly and tragically, with with Eddie Van Halen being gone, um, Dave really is the guy for that era of music to to carry it along. And you guys uh, did it so brilliantly. And I know you being such a, a Van Halen fan. I would think you'd embrace it. And I think the fans would go crazy to see it, even if just one show or one last tour or one last time. So it sounds like if Dave came around, you would be open to it.
3: I'm not opposed to, uh, to something like that at all. It's like I said, <clears throat> it's always about scheduling. Like I'm going out on tour for a year and a half. Right. You know, and I'll, when I get back, I'll be 63, you know, <laughs> so I like the idea of it. We'll have to see how it goes. And uh, any opportunity to play with Billy and Greg also is a plus.
2: Do you ever put on Eat 'em and Smile for fun and go back into memory lane and 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 uh, revisit it? And what kind of what is it? What kind of memories does it conjure up for you if you do?
3: Oh man, it, you know it was such a great time in rock music to be in a rock band like that, traveling the way we were traveling and doing those shows the way we were doing them with someone as over the top as Dave Roth. It was just, I still, I think about it a lot, you know, it's It was so fantastic. And occasionally I I do go back, but if I go back and listen to that stuff, there's a a couple of songs like uh, shy boy, you know, when I hear shy boy, I, I, I hear a 25 year old kid filled with, you know, spit and guts, you know, and just ready to tear it up in his own way. And I could, hear the energy in that song. Um, And also Tobacco Road's pretty cool, you know, but uh, I think Big Trouble off of the uh, Eat and Smile record, that's one of my favorite solos that I did with Dave. And so I do go back occasionally and listen to remind myself who who, who that guy was.
2: (laughs) And you know, what's interesting too, when you think about it, I mean, obviously that's when it was a divided thing. So you had Van Halen with Sammy doing their thing and doing very well. You had Dave yeah, Dave with you and, and Billy and, and Greg doing really well with Edom and Smile. But was there was there um I I I gotta think there was a competitive aspect to it too, because the fans are watching, everyone's watching. It was this enormous breakup and out of it came these two great bands and and two great successes. But I would imagine, and I mean, it stands to reason, I mean, Dave putting a band together with you and Billy and Greg going for world class musicians. Was there any, like, did, did it feel that way at all to you? It's like, you know, we got to top, you know what the other guys are doing, or we got to make sure the reviews are better than them. Was it any, did you pick up on any of that? Did you feel it?
3: Competition is systemic in humanity, you know, in humans. (laughs) And you can feel uh, competing in your everyday life. You know what I mean? So when a situation like that arose, yeah, you know, there was definitely, you could, you could read it in the press. I mean, these guys were going after each other, but something very interesting happened as a result, that competition drove everybody to be at the top of their game. You know, when Dave left Van Halen, if, if he, I would assume if he didn't feel competitive, you know, he wouldn't have wanted it. He wouldn't have felt necessary to put together such a, a kick-ass kind of a band, you know, because he wanted great musicians and was going to go out there and we were going to tour while Van Halen was touring. So a lot of people look at as competition and I see all of that stuff as sort of like an engine of creation because it, it pushes everybody you can't rest. You know, you, you, you don't want to become uh, less than what everything else is happening. So it's really good. The, the competition helps everybody to deliver, deliver hard. And who benefits? Everybody benefits.
2: Everybody goes
3: to a Van Halen show, to a Dave Roth show, to any yeah. show, because all musicians kind of want to, you know, they want to be able to contribute in powerful ways and they're being inspired constantly by what people call their competition.
2: One last thing on this, uh, Steve: How big of a an influence and a mark did did Edward Van Halen leave on you as a player? And do you remember the first time you heard him?
3: Oh yeah, just like many other players, he left an indelible mark. And I remember I was, you know, I can't remember if I was in high school or if I was if I came back for a vacation from uh, berkeley i was uh, i know i was probably going to berkeley at the time when we first all sat around and heard you know uh you really got me go or, or eruption going into you really got me and man we were stunned the guitar community you know just like uh, was stunned because here was a guy that came along and basically did something was with, with such powerful confidence and Edward was inspired, man. He was a simple guy, but he was, he was connected. He was totally connected to the instrument in a a visceral way. And we got all that great music. And I, I can't believe my lucky stars. I was able to go on tour and play that stuff. You know, I was playing Van Halen songs to sold out arenas and the guitar parts are just so great, man. You know, they're like perfectly orchestrated. They fit beautifully on your fingers they don't sound like Edward you know you know everybody sounds like themselves but I did my best to honor those guitar parts because they are beautifully historical man and uh he touched you know he touched all of us so
2: yeah I was going to ask you that the approach you had to that being a much younger guy at that point is it like hey I'm going to do I'm going to do Steve Vai does Van Halen or I'm going to adhere as closely as I can to what would the original recording or a hybrid of the two, you know, you could really take that three ways.
3: Well, when you hear an Edward Van Halen guitar part, you don't want anybody messing with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I I did my best to honor what he played, but just because of my quirky nature and just the way that I touched the strings, it's, it comes out different. And when it came to soloing, what I did when I was approaching those Edwards solos is the, the ones that were really melodic, you know, da, ban, 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 ban Ain't Talking About Love, you know, things like that. I stuck to them because they're an, an integral part of the song. But when it came time to, you know, just blow, I turned it to buy. <laughs>
2: And did you do the same thing with White whether it was Sykes or Mel Galley or whatever you know you were you were doing from that catalog? Obviously, the stuff before you played, of course, on Slip of the Tongue, but the stuff you're coming in off the '87 record, there gargantuan record, that was uh, all John Sykes. What's and then you're sharing that with another guitar player. So what mm-hmm. was the thought process going into that?
3: Well, luckily, John Sykes is a great guitar player. And he laid down, I mean, that White Snake record that he recorded <clears throat> really great guitar parts. And again, some of the melodies and stuff he played, <clears throat> excuse me, are entangled to the song. So I want to do that. But when it comes to soloing no, no, that's, it's gotta be, you, you have to be able to have that freedom. And when white, when the uh, slip of the tongue record came, the, uh, the songs were already all written i just i just came and applied the guitar and adrian had laid down you know rhythm parts that i i you know they had chord structures through them and in some instances i may have played what he laid down but really it was my opportunity to paint the the tracks so to speak and then when it comes time to do it live um with, uh, with Whitesnake, when I was touring with them, Ad- Adrian and I worked out all the parts and it worked out great. You know, there was parts that we did exactly together, you know, and there's harmonies and, you know, we, we, uh, shared
2: solos and stuff like that. And it was good. Um, one final thing, and then we're going to, uh, hear some music is, um, Generation Axe for people that don't know, speaking of other great guitar players, I mean, you went out and did a, a few tours like that. Nuno Betancourt, Zach Wilde, Ingvi Malmsteen, Tosin Abasi. I saw one of those shows, just mind-blowing. I remember Nuno saying to me uh, before the show, he goes, if we only got paid by the note, <laughs> because it's a, it's a lot of notes tonight. There's a lot of notes, but the crossover between all the guitarists and then you guys all coming out at the end, it was so great. Do you want to do more of that?
3: Absolutely. We love that, man. When we kicked off Generation X, X, there was a real question mark over it. You know, everybody was like, how is this going to work? You know, people are telling me you're crazy to try to bring guys like that in one bus, you know what I mean? And to get them <laughs> on a stage and to organize parts with them. And I just said, Nope, I know it's going to work. I, just, I had an instinct. I had an absolute bulletproof knowing You know, it wasn't even a belief. I just knew it. I don't know how to, you know, you know, those, those ideas you get and you just go, yep, that's it. It's going to work. I know it. And here we go. And that, I remember I was in Bali (laughs) with my wife and it just, yep, there it is. Okay. It was like an inviolate idea. You know, I know what's going to happen. And I started reaching out to the guys and they were really into it. But again, there was kind of like, is this really going to (laughs) work? You know, I'm like, yep. And we got into rehearsals and I, you know, we just started hashing out the parts and then it was so interesting. Everybody got it. Everybody saw this big picture of what it was, you know, about how you've got these five crazy guitar players up there, all dishing it out on their own for a little bit and then coming together and playing unbelievably well orchestrated guitar harmony parts. Did you hear Bohemian Rhapsody?
2: Yeah, there's I the have that yeah, record it, too, the record and video, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it was so cool. It was,
3: it was a dream of mine to have something like that, to be able to stand on the stage and play these songs like Frankenstein and Highway Star and Bohemian Rhapsody with an organized five-piece guitar ensemble and a metal guitar ensemble. And these guys came together. We all came together hard, you know, and it was great because when it, when you're standing up there and you're playing something like uh, highway star, and you're doing that, that great solo that Richie did, but you're doing it in five part harmony at the speed of light. And it's, and it's, it sounds, the sound is just, it's unbelievable, you know, when you're up there and you're doing it with these guys, with your brothers, you know, and especially Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, we had to be like, like a Vulcan mind meld, <laughs> because we got every every one of Freddie's vocal notes dished yeah. out perfectly with five guitars, and I'm talking like the way that you hold the pick, the the pickup you use, the the vibrato when the note doesn't have vibrato, when it ends, when it starts, this all has to be bulletproof. And we worked our asses off. And man, when it when it happens, it's just like wow, wow,
2: yeah, yeah. And so Zach Zach told. Zach told me the best part of the whole tour, though, was the thing that nobody saw, which was the bus rides with oh all of you guys God, on the Oh, my God, it's bus. so great.
3: It's so great. These guys are crazy. You know, we, we would stay up 6, 7. o'clock. Well, Nuno was always up until about 8 in the morning. We usually went to bed about 5 or 6, but every night, all of us in the lounge, just the greatest time, listening to yeah. one night. We had a 70s music listening party. And the stories and everything, it was really good. Yeah, really good.
2: Listen, I only got a couple minutes left because I want to be able to play in its entirety for my audience. Uh, I think we're hearing it for the first time, a track called Teeth of yeah. the Hydra. Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go, and then we'll do a break, and then we'll come back. We'll finish the show by playing the song. But what can you tell us about this track? Because I know this song, it's not just a song, but it was also was the inspiration for a new guitar. Is the, Am I getting that right?
3: Yeah, I had a multi-neck guitar built that I call the Hydra, and it's a real monstrosity, but it's a highly technical instrument. I I wanted to kind of create a piece of music that used all of the necks. So when you listen, when you hear this track, all all the bass guitar and the melody and seven string and heavy guitar and the 12 string, and it's got 13 harp strings on it, all that you hear, it's all the Hydra in one performance, and... The Hydra is the only instrument with the exception of the keyboards and drums, obviously. And it was really a challenge, but it was, it was fun. And you really have to see it uh, being performed to understand what's going on. But I didn't want that to get in the way of it. Of the song being able to kind of stand on its own is as, as an enjoyable piece of music with a nice melody, you know? So that was first and foremost, and hopefully, you know, the fans that, like what I do will enjoy it. I think it's a it's it's a good song. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great song. But the way that I performed it,
2: you will be stunned when you see I'm stunned. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Is there gonna be a video so that we can see you performing this? There there will be. That's what I'm gonna do when I get home from uh
3: New York. All
2: right. All right. Well we look forward to checking it out. All right everybody go to vi.com The tour starts on September 28th in California, uh, and then you roll through there. As you said, extensive tour going around the world and a lot in the U.S., so a lot of opportunity to see Steve and his great band play the new stuff and, of course, the classics as well. It's always great to visit with you, Steve. Thank you for the time. Uh, The new record, again, is out tomorrow. Everybody check it out, and I hope to see you soon, whether it's uh, at a show or hanging out somewhere. Always good to talk to you. Best to the family.
3: Always good to talk to you, Eddie, and it's always good to see you, and I love that we get to bump into each other now and then, and thanks so much for having me on the show. It's it's nice to talk to New York.
2: Anytime, anytime. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, brother. Thank you. Well, thanks to Steve Vai. Great speaking with him, and thanks also to Alice Cooper, who you heard earlier in the Eddie Trunk podcast. As usual, the interviews you heard happened live on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard daily on volume channel 106, every day 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern. Full shows, audio, video, more anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. Thank you to all those who listen around the world and subscribe. Don't forget new episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you can check them out. When I was on the cruise, I met a lot of people that came from outside of the U.S. that listen to the podcast and connect with me this way, so thank you for doing so. And again, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, if you're not already listening on Sirius XM, hope you join me for the daily show. Trunk Nation, sixth show on Mondays on Hair Nation, a terrestrial radio show, a lot going on, a lot of broadcast to catch up with, a lot of things to keep up with. Keep an eye on all of it through my social media, at Eddie Trunk. Thank you to Joel Pollack for producing the Eddie Trunk podcast. And uh, of course, most of all, you guys listening. I'll catch you next week for a brand new episode. Take care.